Geopolitics and Empire is joined by writer and researcher Leo Zagami of leozagami.com. He was involved with secret societies earlier in life, but has since seen the light and has been speaking out against the New World Order for years and authoring many books, a prolific writer. He was on my TNT radio show last year to discuss Confessions of an Illuminati, Volume 7, From the Occult Roots of the Great Reset to the Populist Roots of the Great Reject. His latest just published must-read book is Confessions of an Illuminati, Volume 8, From the Rise of the Antichrist to the Sound of the Devil and the Great Reset. Welcome to Geopolitics and Empire, Leo. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And I'm glad that you have started reading the new book. So you have an idea of my latest work, which, uh, of course, uh, took uh, most uh, of the time since we last spoke, because it's been, uh, as you can imagine, a very big kind of project to put together almost 700 pages we are uh, publishing it basically in two languages at the same time italian and english so uh, the reactions have been very positive up until now so i'm very glad to have uh, uh, spent so much time on it though i mean it's 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 kind of uh, uh, incredible how time flies and how we are reaching already the uh, last goals, let's say, of the Antichrist and the New World Order in this uh, uh, project, uh, which is uh, unfolding in front of our eyes every day. So thank you again, and I hope that we can disclose uh, most of the contents. Though, like I said, it's almost a 700 pages book, so very difficult to summarize everything, but we will try yeah, we'll be just uh, scratching uh, the surface. And like I said, I always read, uh, complete my guests' books, and I, I enjoy uh, very much your writing, uh, your writing style. It's informative, but also fun, easy to read. It's a joy to read and, and masterfully uh, written. And, um, I, you know, I don't know where to start, but, you know, the inter- entertainment industry you sort of describe as a world increasingly inflated uh by music and films with an often sinister and woke taste if not esoteric occult and above all satanic especially with the inflated horror genre uh you say and you know this is something more and more i've been seeing uh as the years go by and 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 frankly some years ago i've just tuned out of largely the music and and how i don't watch really movies uh anymore because of the stuff that you're talking about in in your book so uh you know what's going on here uh leo well, I think that uh, the book really uh, shows you that this has been going on uh, for a very, very long time, since the very beginning of Hollywood. In fact, uh, in my work, I actually started from 1909, 1910, when D.W. Griffith uh, lays the foundation of the cinema business, arriving in this uh, small uh, place uh, in Southern California that later on will become uh, the, the foundations for the biggest uh, movie industry in the world. World, which, of course, at that time was still in an experimental phase, but uh, Hollywood uh, became uh, then the house, the home of a series of heretics uh, from various quarters and people also involved in uh, black magic, uh, who, uh, of course, uh, from the very beginning, uh, Uh, found natural to be there because it was such a decadent place. I mean, even Alistair Crowley, I cite him in my book uh, when he says that uh, Hollywood, uh, the Hollywood that he viewed when he, of course, came in the early stages of uh, last century was, uh, of course, uh, 
a place uh, where uh, they were all doing cocaine, all having orgies, all indulging and indulging in everything that was really uh, kind of separating uh, this part of the world for the more, from the more, more Victorian approach that England still had at that time. Of course, things changed um, even in uh, Great Britain since then. And in fact, I also have part of this book dedicated, especially the last uh, chapter, uh, to the connections, but not only the last chapter, these are mentioned during the course of the book, to the connections with the royal family, with the, the fact that the military-industrial complex was aiding and abating from the beginning Hollywood uh, with D.W. Griffith and the film, for example, uh, Birth of a Nation, which was the first film in which the actual military, the American uh, uh, army forces uh, gave their own tanks for this. Uh, of course, those tanks were a bit primitive because they were from over 100 years ago compared to what we have now. But uh, it gives you already an idea of the fact that from the very early stages, uh, there was this uh, encounter between the military industrial complex and Hollywood. And at the same time, between Freemasonry and Hollywood, which I also, of course, talk about. And Freemasonry, of course, naturally brings us back to England, which, of course, the United Grand Lodge of England presides over the so-called regularity of, of Freemasonry, uh, regular Freemasonry around the world. A message from our sponsors. Our friends at Above Phone are on a mission to help people break free of the algorithm ghetto. They're starting with our phones because 99% of people today are addicted to the big tech ecosystem. We have alternative technologies available that Ramiro and his team at Above Phone have been evaluating. These tools are superior, not just alternatives. Are you ready to play above the rules of the surveillance capitalists? Let's remove our reliance on them for information, apps, and communications and break free of their tracking. If we don't contribute to alternative software with our participation, we may lose the few choices we have. When you get a degoogled Above Phone, everything is made simple out of the box. Just plug your cell service in and go, or use Wi-Fi only. The above privacy suite provides important services using open source software that is run reliably and privately. It gives you a VPN, private email, search engine, encrypted chat, voice and video calls, a calendar service, and an anonymous internet phone number. Because getting people on better systems is so important, they've upped their dedication to support. With each phone, you get a 30-minute support call, 24-7 email, chat support, and a knowledge base. Just like with our food, water, healthcare, schooling, and security, our tech needs to be sovereign. Browse available phones now and subscribe to the privacy suite at abovephone.com. If you do find yourself stuck in a smart city, the Nomos app will help you survive COVID-1984 and the Great Reset. Nomos is a time bank that can be used by communities anywhere in the world. You just need to talk people into using it. I've spoken to the developer who is passionate about creating solutions for surviving and thriving in the apocalypse. Nomos is available in English and Spanish, so hurry and visit nomos.net before they roll out the cashless society and put you in the algorithm ghetto. So I would say that we have, of course, Hollywood as uh, a tool of politics 
which is still now, like you said right at the beginning of the interview, you mentioned the woke ideology, for example. But in this book, I go much deeper than just uh, talking about the fact that now we have a Hollywood with the woke. I, I go after the reasons why we have this woke ideology and the school of Frankfurt, the Frankfurt School, for example, which of course is a school of thought, which you are acquainted with, is also part of the problem. Like part of the problem is also that heresy within Judaism, which we call Sabbatean, the Sabbatean heresy, which later on became also the um, Sabbatean Frankist heresy, because from uh, the actual uh, Sabbatean heresy conducted by Sabbatean is evident there was his uh, supposed alleged reincarnation, Jacob Frank. These people are not really well known outside of the Jewish world. That's why every time we tend to say, oh, it's all about the Jews, and then the people tend to become anti-Semitic. Inevitably, we, we have the Connie West syndrome that uh, appears when you have that kind of uh, mm, wrong perception of what Judaism really is about. So as a non-Jew, you have to understand it. Now, I'm only partly Jewish, so I'm not really a practicing Jew. I'm a Catholic. I was raised as a Catholic. But uh, I have Jewish friends, people uh, who have uh, practiced uh, all their life Judaism. I lived amongst them uh, at times for long periods of my life to learn about their traditions. And I learned about the fact that this heresy created a lot of problems. So it's it's a, it's a little bit like, you know, we have Catholicism. It would be for me wrong as a Catholic to condemn nowadays Catholics in total, like they would say, uh, all of them, because of Pope Francis. We know that uh, Pope Francis is simply a representative of that distorted view that has taken over the church since the Second Vatican Council. So the same can be said about Judaism. Now, for example, uh, just yesterday in Rome, actually today in Rome, sorry, there is uh, an event, an event about artificial intelligence and the Abrahamic faiths that are basically uh, signing this accord, this commitment to monitor in their eyes the ethics of artificial intelligence. This is BS. I mean, uh, sorry if I say that, but it's simply because they want to control uh, something that will, of course, be more and more in charge of our lives. I mean, uh, AI is not anymore the stuff of science fiction in some uh, book, but it's actually uh, the stuff uh, of, 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 of everyday life when we simply pick up our phones or we go on our computers or whatever we do in our daily uh, routine. So we have uh, also that element, which I, as you know, discussed in my previous books, especially volume 7 and volume 6.66, which I will refer to. But uh, in this book, I also discuss uh, how the AI is influencing modern Hollywood, how Hollywood is actually starting to work with the AI in the making of films, music, but also in the casting even, or uh, in uh, uh, deciding what a script should be uh, and this is really becoming a little bit dangerous. Gradually, we are indulging in something that will inevitably bring us uh, under the control of something that is not human. 
and human uh, being human is, is 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 for us important and that's why we want to preserve our reflection of god as humans and this of course with transhumanism is disappearing but in this book i also discuss the metaverse what it represents for the music business for the cinema business what is hollywood doing with the metaverse in its first steps in the metaverse uh, what the music business is doing in the first step of the metaverse. So there is a lot of things in this book. And of course, there is a big chunk of it dedicated to Alistair Crowley, his influence in the music, in the cinema, in, in the arts in general, uh, and, and, and yeah. the, the connections with Hollywood that people might not know. And, and so when I uh, made this book... Initially, I thought that I would simply uh, go and uh, refurbish some studies and work that I conducted some years ago when I came he here in California for the first time. Now I'm permanent resident of California since 2019, but I came here for the first time in 2014 to actually write a book. And I was not living in Palm Springs. I was actually living in in Long Beach, and I was going in and out of Hollywood all the time, thanks to my friend Sean Stone, the son of Oliver Stone. We started this collaboration. Yeah, he's, he's been a guest uh, on the podcast, and um, uh, just uh, well, just to go to the music aspect first, because like you said, we're just going to skim the surface, but I think uh, in, the, in the first part of your book, you're fo focusing on... Uh, yeah. The music business, because I was a record producer, people tend to not know that, because, of course, uh, from uh, the age of 36 onwards, when I started to unveil my revelations in the public, uh, it became increasingly difficult for me to conduct a double life of sorts uh, or uh, continuing to be involved in the show business, uh, music business, uh, because, first of all, uh, it was dangerous. I mean, uh, you, you could be poisoned, you could be easily... Uh, targeted and and ruined uh, in those kind of contexts no so i stopped really professionally being a record producer and a dj and i went on to become uh, what i'm now which is basically i picked up my previous interest with journalism which was always there because i was uh, i worked as a music journalist for many years and even prior to that i worked simply as a journalist uh, in the even in the 80s when i was very young uh, for a, a socialist radio station so imagine i went from catholic radio station initially then to socialist and then i went to catholic tv again i did a lot of things in my life uh, and of course uh, i'm uh, uh, proud of the fact that within the music business uh, when it came down to my djing especially to the work i conducted in the clubs i was always trying to put first the music and uh, of course at that time i was directly involved with the secret society so i was actually thinking that this luciferian approach using symbols music uh, and and going around i used to have this i remember this one night called electronic voodoo which i used to bring around i used to do in st petersburg in reykjavik in london in rome and it was like simply in the early 2000s uh, late 90s i was basically uh, bringing back uh, to uh, this electronic music, dance music, also a, a cultural approach 
uh, that was uh, not superficial, not only, you know, the dr let's drink and let's get wasted and listen to music. No, apart from the fact that the music was always a little bit particular and I was the creator of genres in the middle of the 90s. I was involved in London with other musicians in the creation of a, a genre known as new funk that later on became new disco. So, and, 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 and in all this, of course, uh, I was doing it for the love of music. I never really wanted to do things that were overly commercial. So I pr produced a lot of records, but I never really produced records that went in the charts because they were contrary to my own. Uh, I didn't want to be subject to what the record labels wanted. And actually, when I became uh, rather known in the early 2000s, and I started to see that the record labels wanted me to go into that direction, that's when I said, okay, I had enough. Because uh, I remember I was working with a record company called Tommy Touch, and I was releasing a record called um, The Magical Child, which was, of course, a record full of esoteric meaning and, and stuff. You can just go and purchase the record. You can see it yourself in the, in the titles, in the, in the sounds, everything. And, um, and then I saw, though, that already in a couple of those tracks that I had made, they had put their hands on. They had given it to other producers to edit, chop off certain parts, and reformulate them in a way that it wasn't really my product any longer. So I said, that's it. I had enough uh, with kind of uh, uh, music business. And later on also, like I said, when I started my revelations, I remember exactly when in the fall of 2006, then I said, that from this moment onwards, I will focus on exposing uh, all this. Also because in between 2003 and 2004, when my internal battle within the Secret Society Network started, it was before I came out in the open in 2006, there was a preliminary period of three years between 2003, when I went to Egypt, to 2006, in which... I tried to see if I could save, you know, some of these elements of these uh, people and bring them on my side and try to see if there was any of these mystery schools that was worth preserving. Unfortunately, I saw that that wasn't the case. And that's when in the fall of 2006, I started to unleash my revelations upon the world, which immediately got picked up by people like David Icke. And then, of course, the rest uh, is uh, history, like mm -hmm. this. Yeah, uh, if you could then uh, just, you know, tell us how then, because as you just laid out, you, you yeah. were working there, how music, for example, is now being at a mass scale, globally, basically weaponized uh, against, against humanity. And you, you talk about like the, the, the frequency, the hertz, you know, 440 sure. has been standardized and 432 is better. And how the Nazis instituted the 440 uh, hertz. And then you've got the ISO organization, which sort of is behind this, which is based in, in, in um, Gen which Geneva. Which is the standardization of music, but also many other things in our lives that followed the Second World War. Uh, just to terminate what I was saying regarding mm -hmm. my period 2003-2006, in that period I also uh, experienced firsthand what it means to try to come out of uh, these uh, secret societies, uh, to try to do your own thing and being sabotaged. I could no longer be 
the DJ or the record producer because these people were too much involved in my life. They would go around talking about me, saying, oh, this Leo uh, has lost the plot. He's no longer, you know, one of us. He needs to be uh, sided. So the, 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 the actual uh, the problem was not only the fact that uh, I, I could be endangered in working, you know, simply as a DJ in a club and somebody could drop me something, but actually I got locked in. They actually came to my house and and, and tried to uh, to silence me in this way, which I find completely outrageous. Uh, simply because you know I might have said the wrong thing to somebody, and they had connections. Of course, these people are involved with the military; they're involved with the medical establishment. So they take a second to lock you up and say, "Oh, he's gone insane. He's mad. He's just out of his head. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to what he wants to say." So this is, of course, something that happened, and they are trying with the music to control people. And so I was doing it consciously because, of course, I was within. I was a member of the OTO. I was a Freemason. I was uh, directing a lodge of the Fraternity of Rosa Cruciana Antigua. I saw with my eyes the way they could uh, literally manipulate all of the art world around you. So you couldn't then at that point be a successful artist without being helped by them. You you know, at that point you were out of the business because either you are in their ideology, you 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 follow their leftist woke ideology, which back then wasn't called woke, but simply leftist, or either ways you are not part of uh, of the agenda. And in my book, I start, you know, with this experience regarding the, the tuning of music, music. And so I explained how the notes, the, the whole system of the notes was born from ancient times, from the ancient mystery schools, the importance that music has in the, in, in the secret societies, in the sacred, the world of the churches, you know, you play the organ, but also in the lodges, you play the organ in traditional lodges. You have music that, of course, is uh, used and was used to, in a way, elevate man. Then they wanted this to disappear, and that's why just before the Second World War in 1939, with Goebbels and with these people also involved with, because people say, oh, but the, the, the Nazis were against the British. Yeah, well, not really, because up until the war, the royal family was, of course, German, Hanoverian, and they were all, and the, and the Queen was giving the Nazi salute, you know? So... These are things that maybe people tend to forget. And, 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 and as I am myself a member of the Lion family, the family of the Queen Mother, that fortunately was not linked to the Hanoverians, but brought basically a little bit of uh, Britishness to that German family, I can say that. But I have uh, my own uh, roots to the, um, to the Sacred Roman Empire and to the to the German aristocracy through my father, actually, through Sicily, because they also were part of that. So I, I in, in my book, I explain how the seven notes were actually constructed by Guido d'Arezzo following uh, a, um, a po song, a verses, let's say, and the initials of these verses became the initial notes, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, si. Um, then, of course, in the... 
uh, Anglo-Saxon system, the ABC, the, the music is translated in letters, so it's a little bit different. Fundamentally, the A, the, 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 the fact that you tune the instrument in a certain way is because now you have a standard, a standard that, that came in uh, to effect though after the war. So now every musician in the world knows they have to go there when they are according their guitar, their piano, anything, and they know that this is the standard and they have to follow it. Now, that wasn't the case until then. And it wasn't the case until 100 years ago when they started to implement this new tuning of the music in 440 from 432. And of course, nowadays, there is a lot of people that say that this is simply, you know, some kind of uh, conspiracy and that it's not true. And that actually, you know, if you play in one way or the other, it's all the same. The fact is that uh, it's very difficult uh, for a non-musician to understand this. But it's even difficult for a musician to understand the level of manipulation. When you are an artist, you are a little bit naive, usually. You don't want to think that your art is being in some way, uh, you know, that the, the, the musical pitch corresponding to an audio frequency is being studied and that basically the musical note of A above middle C or A is kind of being decided by a group of people in a big office that are... But that's what happened. Because, you know, when you said it, the ESO, you, you, talk, you mentioned what, what I say in my book, is, is, is an is, is a, is a organization which, I mean, already should, uh, should, should include fear only by the name, standardization. I mean, what is standardization? Why should we all be standard? So what the intention was, was to take away that uh, elevation that music uh, will bring you to. Because music can bring you to elevate your mind, your thoughts, your ideas, while instead the society wants to oppress all this. Now, that is the first phase of the oppression, because then, as you know, in my book, I also talk about the fact that gradually we went, and this you will see in the later chapters of my book, from the streaming of today, that everything... Everybody thinks it's a normal thing. Oh, great, streaming. I stream down my music. I buy my tunes on iTunes. I don't have to go to the shop. I don't have to buy a vinyl. I don't have to buy a CD. Now, you have to understand, I was a very traditional kind of um, record producer. So I know everything about frequencies, records, cutting vinyl. I went to cut every single vinyl I was involved with. The only time I couldn't go, I remember, was because I was sick. I got sick and I was in a hospital and I couldn't attend the cutting of the vinyl. And in fact, it didn't go well. And I was like, ah! <laughs> but because at that time we used to have DAT players, DAT. It was digital, but it was still a tape. The frequency was very deep. You could go deeper, 48 Hz. It was very deep. Then, of course, you could place it on a vinyl. And vinyl has as much frequency there. The frequency that you can get on the vinyl is very deep. You can manipulate in a very good way. But when you go on a CD, it's 44.1 and you, it's like a cap. Boom. Everything is compressed. And, of course, in the streaming era with MP3s, 
That is like the garbage of music. That, that is like the fast food of music. That's like buying, a, like comparing a panino made by my uh, Italian grandma to a panino made in McDonald's. I make a, a silly example, but just, just to say how different these two things are. So in my book, I wanted to explain how this fits, though, the strategy of the Great Reset of Klaus Schwab, which is actually a figure I talk about in my book because I talk also about this uh, enormous influence in today's Hollywood. Uh, everything that you talk about when you talk about Hollywood walk, about where do these CEOs go every year to take their orders? And that's what I showed in my book. They go to Davos. Davos, they sit down, they say, okay, next year you will have to have these characters or black, these characters or gay, these characters or this and that. That's what happens in Davos. And people don't know that. So, But also, when it comes down to his philosophy, which is we should own nothing, you know, and be happy. We, we own nothing and be happy. Well, streaming is about that. You don't own the movies you purchase when you get a stream. I mean, you don't own anything physical. When you're watching Netflix, the moment you expire your Netflix, uh, uh, you know, you're not paying the subscription, that's it. You don't have the movies anymore. What is, what is left in your hand? In, behind you, you have a bunch of books. Okay, now it's true. I sell this book of almost 700 pages also on Kindle because I know that a lot of people can go around with this big book, you know, in their daily life, and so it makes it easy for them. But when it comes down to Kindle, we're talking about the digital desert of the future because what is going to be left about this I mean, I can leave my books. You can leave your books to your son, your grandson, your great-grand will have your books that are behind you. They will say, wow, my grandfather has a great books in his collection. Same thing I did myself, no? I used to go in my big library, family library, and say, ah, these books were my grandfather's, his book were my father's, his book were my great-grandfather's. And, and, you know, and it's great to have this connection. This is unfortunately not possible in the era of streaming. And that's why I explain why it's been pushed by the New World Order. No more DVDs, even CDs, anything tangible that you could have as a property is gone. Yeah, all of our you life will, will, will be rented. I, I'm guilty. I bought your book on uh, on Kindle, but I, 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 and I'm cognizant of what you're talking about. You know, at any moment they can um, shut your access to Kindle or remove the books. But th there is a way where you can sort of back up. Uh, your digital Kindle books offline and, and convert them. But I, I get I get what you're saying. Um, and in general, in general, everything that we have in digital form, photos and stuff, tends to dilute in the course of time. And and it's like you don't have anything physical, so it's easily vanishes, lost and stuff. You know, I I, I for example, when it comes to my father, uh, he has done a lot of work recorded on old tapes. You know, I still have the possibility of listening to those tapes. I can transfer them in digital format nowadays, but it's great that I have them. And if 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 they were stored on something, and maybe I will never, never could uh, could access that work again. So I know that, of course, we have uh, uh, made a lot uh, of. Uh, progress in the world but it's also true that some of this progress is being directed so you will own nothing and be happy because the, the kids of today are happy simply having a mobile phone and going around like this 
Yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's nuts. But uh, you know, maybe to get your thoughts as well as some of the other goals, you know, whether music or, or talking about film, you mentioned in your your book, um, you know, this this Netflix film that they brought out, uh, um, and they they stopped uh, Little Demon, where they're they're openly now uh, promoting Satanism and all of these things. Actually, that is not Netflix. That's FX. And okay. still on, but it actually was not fortunately brought to Disney Plus because Disney Plus was about to broadcast this little demo. However, Disney Plus during the month of December uh, transmitted Santa Clauses where there was a bunch of kids saying, We love you, Satan. So it wasn't much better. I mean, there is, uh, like I explained in my book, uh, the Sabbatian Frankists arrive in Hollywood, the people like even Charlie Chaplin that we idolize today. But Charlie Chaplin was a pedophile. And he made, he founded basically the very basis of Hollywood, the United Artists that created the, the, the very basis of Hollywood with D.W. Griffith. So D.W. Griffith, I talk in my book, is the guy who did this film where he basically promoted the KKK as the heroes. That was uh, Birth of a Nation, 1915. He got the criticism for that movie, which, of course, was made on purpose to promote the KKK that in the meantime had gone out of fashion in most of the United States. So he kind of relaunched the KKK. And the year after, he came out with another idea, which was uh, this tolerance movie. And that was really where the Babylon myth of Hollywood comes from, because he constructed on that dirt road, which was still Hollywood Boulevard at that time, this immense Babylonian gates with uh, the elephants of Ishtar, the, 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 every symbol, Enki, and all that was left there for years because, you know, they will not just go there and throw it away. It was any, there was no graphics, uh, computer graphics. It was all done with uh, 10,000 actors, 10,000. I mean, imagine 10,000 actors. It was an immense thing. And they reconstructed this Babylonian, uh, these various periods. There is various periods in this uh, movie, but the main period is the Babylonian period. And that's really which gave the foundation for the Hollywood Babylonian myth. Because then, like the film that was just released a few days ago, Babylon, by the film director of La La Land with Brad Pitt is based on that 1920s decadence of Hollywood. Of course, people should also um, check out other uh, uh, films because that is not a really realistic film. It doesn't have, it's not a biographical film. But I would say that uh, the idea of the Hollywood Babylon then is picked up by Kenneth Tan. Kenneth Anger, of course, uh, for those who don't know, is uh, uh, still alive. He's uh, the biggest underground film uh, producer alive, influenced many people from David Lynch to many others. And uh, his films were never directed to the masses because in reality, as I explained in my book, there were rituals that were conducted for specific reasons. And he himself was involved with Anton LaVey with the foundation of the Church of Satan. The Church of Satan becomes also a very important part of Hollywood, just uh, as uh, the, uh, the previous lodge of uh, uh, Parsons, uh, of, of Jack Parsons, and those people, bef even before him, that were laying the foundation for 
Croelianity in Hollywood. But why did Croelianity function in Hollywood? Simply because Sabatian Frankism, which is this heresy, is what where Telema comes from. Because when we go and study Alistair Crowley, Alistair Crowley was born in 1875, the year of the foundation of the Theosophical Society. He used to, he liked to say that. And he himself became a member of this Theosophical Society network back then, very influential. But uh, Madame Blavatsky was herself a disciple of Max Theon, who was a Sabbatean Frankist. And the Sabbatean Frankists were involved with the foundation of various secret societies that influenced Freemasonry in the 18th century, especially, and gave them those elements of Judaism that, though, were uh, that functioned in a way because uh, uh, the intention of the Sabbatean Frankists is simply purification through sin to actually indulge in all this. The sexual magical rituals that everybody nowadays refer automatically to Alistair Crowley were actually created by Jacob Frank and pre before him, actually, Sabbatai Zebi. He was the first one with his wife and his disciples to do these sexual magical rituals in the same way Crowley did it later on. And in fact, there is... Uh, some uh, some research that I might uh, also bring forward uh, in the coming years, but I already brought forward in volume four of my confession some of it regarding uh, the Sabbatean Frankist element uh, and the inspiration it had, uh, especially when it came down to the very basis of Crowleyanity, which then became the basis for modern Satanism. Because without Crowley, without Telema, without the do what the wilt uh, uh, replica of Rabelais, uh, Pantagruel, no? and all that, without that, that kind of inspiration, there will not be Anton LaVey, there will not be modern Satanism, as we know it, that uh, started in 1966, and, of course, uh, in a very Hollywood style, even if it was in San Francisco, it became a very important part of Hollywood life for many people in Hollywood. Uh, and then later on, in the middle of the 70s, there was a schism with Michael Aquino, who brought again Satanism into a more intellectual direction, because Anton LaVey was trying to make it more poptastic, more accessible, more understandable for the common folk, and sadly, that's what he managed to do with the, the Satanic Bible. Uh, and, and, and at that point, uh, we can say the third stage instead is what happened 10 years ago with uh, Lucian Greaves and the Satanic Temple, which is nowadays uh, instead indulging in politics and Satanism, uh, bringing around uh, the, their issues uh, with, uh, you know, parading the Baphomet and the Capitol Hill of some states. Uh, they're about to have in April, in a couple of months, SatanCon, which they say is going to be the largest ever satanic uh, yeah. gathering. And, and on that note, if you could tell us as well, you, you talk about this uh, in your book, how... In the book, the, I explain the, 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 the basic modern Satanism, so people can understand also their links to Hollywood, how it kind but, of is but, but also but also the goal of the entertainment industry i mean we're talking about music 
TV, the, film, the goal of the Antichrist. Right. Yeah. Uh, could you tell us, you know, how uh, you said they're they're going to prepare? They're preparing us for the coming of the Antichrist. And you see in everything, there's a lot of Gnosticism and, and, and New Age, and basically changing people's uh, views and 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 uh, spiritual views. Sort of. Um, now, Gnosticism per se will not be a word that means which means knowledge, and so they, they like to promote it as they are bringing you to the true knowledge, for example, of Christianity. Christianity by giving you Gnostic uh, teachings of this and that, and then, but then Gnosticism became also Satan, uh, Gnostic Satanism. Gnosticism, unfortunately, from my own experience, even when it was done in the most Christian way possible, it became always the backdoor for Satanism. It's it's strange. I mean, it shouldn't be that way because a lot of the teachings in, in, in Gnosticism you can relate to, they, you can find them interesting. But in the end, unfortunately, these currents are all kind of pouring into the same river of modern Satanism. It's like little springs of knowledge and stuff that unfortunately gets corrupted and, and brought to the same river. And, to the, and, and so... For me to explain better all this, I also mentioned the work that was conducted in Hollywood by my late friend Jordan Maxwell, which also was a figure that in Hollywood was rather known. He had collaborated even with people like George Lucas and, and so on. And, and I mean, I was capable to... I was lucky enough to spend some time with him the last year, a couple of years of his life. And, uh, and, and so I, I wanted to remember him, but I also wanted to show how his work and the work of Manly Peel were eventually used by the same uh, elite that in the end wants to promote their own agenda, which, like I said, their own agenda is to normalize to normalize what uh, 100 years ago would have been deemed as uh, completely off by everybody. Even in, even, I mean, even if we go back to the 50s and 40s, Hollywood back then had completely different values. Even Walt Disney was promoting values that are completely the contrary of what Walt Disney is promoting today. Uh, Walt Disney today, like I explained in my book, is promoting... Uh, uh, transgender kids, this, that, uh, LGBT, whatever they like to. Uh, uh, back then, uh, and they, of course, left these values of sorts, inclusion, whatever they call it, uh, equity, and all this BS. Back in the days, Walt Disney was the guy who was ratting out the communists from Hollywood. Uh, he was actually working <laughs> to rat them out during the McCarthy era. So I think that. We don't have to go necessarily back to the McCarthyism or to, uh, you know, to those times in which there was a persecution of the communists. But let's see what has happened since we have not persecuted the communists. And communism for me is simply another name for Satanism. I mean, it's not like now you can, you know, as you have a show, it's geopolitical. So there might be people that are not necessarily religious, you know. This book that I have just made can be seen not necessarily only by a religious point of view, but also by somebody who has uh, maybe a non-religious point of view. Because 
In the end, these are facts. They are not speculations. What I tried to write in this book, as you saw, is supported by pages and pages here of citations and quotations that are all cited, over a thousand footnotes uh, here, uh, citation, 1,044, from credible sources that I have verified with years of study and also my own personal experience. So it's a bit of a mix. You know, from my own personal experience, because I also studied acting. My grandmother was a Felicity Mason uh, in coming. She was a very famous writer. In my book, I actually cite William Barrows, who talks about her. Uh, and I uh, explain what her work was with William Barrows, with Brian Geis. And she was working also as a PR, but she was working also with Fellini and Zeffirelli. So she was an acting coach. She had studied the Chekhov method back in the days with when she met with my grandfather. And, and so she was in the Hollywood business. She knew everybody from the Hollywood business. When I was like young, I just I remember one day I came into the... And I opened the door to come and say hello to my grandmother. And on the divan saying hello, there was uh, uh, Rock Hudson. You know, it's like uh, you 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 don't uh, find uh, these kind of people in everybody's home. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so you know, and, or or she helped me. Uh, she introduced me when I was only thirteen to the Pet Shop Boys, simply because they were fans of William Barrows. Mm -hmm. People don't know that, but uh, they were great fans of William Barrows. Just as Boy George was a big fan. Boy is uh, they used to. When he used to have that hat boy, and then he had actually a whole shop selling these items, was because it was a it was a character. It was a characters from the Wild Boys of William Barrows, and the Wild Boys of of Duran Duran comes from the book of William Barrows. People don't know that. People don't know that. That's why in my book I explain all this. I say you've been brought up for a ride in the eighties where you thought everything was superficial, but in reality, when you go and study. The elements that make those poptastic songs, then you will find that a lot of them have occult elements. Like, for example, Alphaville. You know, people say, Oh, big in Japan tonight. You know, they think it's a band from the 80s with a cool song. They don't know that they even wrote a song dedicated to Rose Kelly, the wife of Alistair Crap. Yeah, Alistair Crowley pops up everywhere from Black Sabbath to the and Beatles. To, another, um, yes, another uh, part of this book, which is good uh, for all of you to, to study. I think uh, if you haven't had this experience in your life, I was part of the rave uh, scene. Uh, I was actually the guy who did the first rave in Italy in the late 80s. But the rave scene became also a way for the Illuminati to spread their ideas in a very difficult uh, environment otherwise of anarchists and people who didn't want to have any control of sorts. And uh, in fact, in this book, I explain how groups like Mutoid Ways, groups like KLF, KLF, you know, the KLF are, uh, are the ones who burnt over a million pounds in, in a bonfire in front of the journalists. And uh, the KLF are the ones who are also very much connected with discordianism, with uh, uh, the myth of the Illuminati, because we have, of course, the Illuminati, and then you have the myth of the Illuminati, which is just as powerful. And the KLF, known also as the Justified Ancients of Mumu, well, 
they were highly influenced by a guy called Genesis Peorage, which had created a secret society known as the Temple of Psychic Youth, in which all these bands came in. And what they did, well, what they did was groundbreaking, because without them, we will not have all the culture of the tattoos, the piercing, everything that you that nowadays you see all those young youngsters. They think they're being revolutionary. They think they're being rebels. Well, Genesis Piorich was not really a rebel. It was an odd character, which I had the possibility to, to encounter uh, very young because he collaborated with, um, with Terry Wilson and with Brian Geisen and William Barrows. They did this tour also, and there were groups involved in it, like Cabaret Voltaire. I mean, I was a very young person. I was lucky enough to grow up in this environment and understand, the, understand this environment from within it. Now I can say I'm glad to not have indulged like these people in their own fixations. I mean, Genesis Peorage was so crazy that at the end of his life he was exchanging body parts with his wife. I mean, he was swapping not only his sexuality, but his I don't know. I mean, these people were completely out of it, some of them, but mm. they had also a lot of influence in modern culture. And that's why people need to read this book, mm. which has also these symbols uh, on the cover. And these symbols have to be understood. To, yeah, it, you know? yeah it, it, if you could, I mean, you mentioned Great Reset earlier, and you know, there's well, all I this make, talk. I make to, talk of, for example, an, uh, right. an example of Discover. This uh, is where you project uh, mm -hmm. the the film. Sorry, this part here, no, the this you have, no, in in the film. No, uh, here we have. No, you used to project the movies, but it's also an eight. Then you have eight, and then you have still another eight. There are three eights. Then you have here in the back all these people watching the movie, which is Intolerance, the Babylonian scene, but there is only one guy standing on the other side, and that is me, if you watch. In the because it's a little bit like that scene in which you have everybody with the, the arm like this and this one with the arm down. I'm watching the others. I'm not hypnotized by them. Here in the front, you have these eyes, of course, that are also, but behind you have the pentagram with the baphomet of the Church of Satan. The eyes, of course, have their own symbolic meaning. And this cover was done actually by a guy who used to be at the time a disciple of Genesis P. Origin, a member of the Temple of Sai Youth. So you see, I, I picked up. Uh, the guy who does all my book covers. So, I mean, uh, he has, he's also a former, uh, let's say, Illuminati, because when I say Illuminati, it's not uh, only the order of the Illuminati of Adam Weishaupt, which, of course, I was also part uh, in the revival, but also many other orders, like, you know, I explained in volume one, I talk about this network of secret society that we commonly refer to as the Illuminati. And... Uh, uh, we have, uh, of course, also an image, an image, of course, we will never like to see, which is uh, an explosion. Now, in this book, uh, you have uh, also the, the truth about Zelensky. You have the truth about Zelensky, the Masonic order between Poland and Ukraine that was at the very basis of the whole project of reconstituting and building up Ukraine against the Russian Federation. This order is called the Order of Saint Stanislaw. 
And there was actually an attempt 10 years ago when uh, Ukraine was still in the hands of the Russian to outlaw this Masonic order. It didn't happen. And you know what is the symbol of this Masonic order? The symbol that now you see on the ground forces of Ukraine, the cross with the thing, that is the symbol of the order of Saint Stanislav. Mm -hmm. So I explain in my book uh, how uh, Zelensky used, you know, an actor, a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the show, you know? So, I mean, and and, and then in front of the Grammy Awards, I think he's supposed to go to the Golden Globes Globes uh, soon. And I mean, in, 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 as a you know, in in closing, because um, again, if you could talk- as, as you see, you see, show business. You know, he was for years doing the president as a comedian, and then he, he becomes this tragicomic figure on the world scene, which is basically uh, pushing us toward the possible nuclear escalation and nuclear confrontation, which is. Uh, I hope never happening, but puts Europe in severe danger uh, for this year. I think um, we might have some unpleasant surprises. Yeah, uh, and, and, and and any other uh, f- further thought on, as you said, this is all preparing the way for the coming uh, of the Antichrist. And I was reading that the, the Davos meeting, the next Davos meeting, it's going to have the biggest uh, ever uh, um, attendance of world political leaders. So it's like they are just... Uh, taking you know control of all national not only that uh, there will be also more and more attendance of religious leaders uh, this happened uh, and i explained that in volume seven with the bishop kamara uh, the red bishop uh, and uh, of course that happened when he arrived in the middle of the 70s in davos and bro- he was the most communist of progressive the foundation of liberal theology was basically brought to davos but it was a continuation of something that was born in rome That's why, as I said, what is happening in Rome today, while we are talking, the head of Microsoft renewing the AI call for ethics and all this BS, because it is is simply them wanting to control every phase of our life. And, uh, of course, their quest is always the quest for immortality. This is what the the, the Illuminati, the the mystery schools of all ages have promised. Uh, And so their quest is to eventually be able to upload themselves uh, in, you know, and become everlasting in what is known as the metaverse, which is also going to become, unfortunately, the digital prison of the masses which will be pushed more and more to stay at home in their virtual cage rather than live in the real world, which will be limited to the real people. So in my book, I wanted to explain how the Antichrist is basically uh, has in the last hundred years, thanks to all these artists, cinema, music and all that. People even willingly selling their soul to the devil like Bob Dylan. Willingly and and, and, and and openly saying, I mean, people like John Lennon saying, you know, I receive my music in the middle of the night and I'm emptying my head. And then, you know, it's not me. It's not me. A lot of artists that we have followed and had the biggest uh, hits 
they were not really the creators of these hits. There was another force upon them. In fact, I talk also about the famous, uh, since the times of the blues, uh, the, 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 fam- the pact with uh, the devil made at the crossroads and all that. So there is also an element which is uh, even more sinister. But all of this, of course, then to bring you an antichrist that will be aided and abated and helped uh, along the way by cyber Satan, which is the artificial intelligence. So their intention is now to uh, start this uh, project, uh, which the the Vatican uh, Illuminati have already promoted in the last few years since uh, the establishment of the human fraternity document in Abu Dhabi, the the encyclical Fratelli Tutti, this encyclical signed in Assisi in the middle of the pandemic by the Pope, which is a Masonic encyclical, and all of this, of course, to uh, position later on an Antichrist, but uh, this Antichrist, of course, has to unify all the religions, so the the Vatican is starting to, to put them all together, and uh, they want the Abrahamic ones to have the control, ultimate control over the cyber Satan, because of course then the cyber Satan will help out uh, the Antichrist in uh, controlling, monitoring, uh, in a way that was um, is unprecedented in human history as we know it, because we didn't have this technology for control. I mean, the Soviet Union, 100, uh, you know, 70, 80, 50 years, will have dreamed about having this kind of technology, but they didn't have it. So now that uh, we, we, we see this kind of technology uh, being unleashed on the human population, they start saying, oh, well, it's dangerous. We have to control it in an ethical way. Well, that is not really what they're doing. They are w- wanting to control it for their own project. To control the project uh, will be to microchip the every single being on this planet, and in ten years from now, the control for these beings, for the people who will be subject to that kind of control, uh, will be simply uh, it will be. I mean, you are without a soul the moment in which you are in this system and you are uh, completely. Uh, sold to the system by microchipping yourself uh, or accepting what the Christians have called, of course, the mark of the beast, but without having to uh, bring forward anything uh, from the Bible, if you want to stay in very pragmatic, uh, uh, we can say that, of course, the moment in which you are connected like the Davos elite wants you to monitor every single aspect of your life 24 hours a day, I mean, Harari, the, 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 of course, the prophet uh, <laughs> of, of Davos, uh, or, or, or the, 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 the guy who is basically the philosopher of Davos, it's, it's, it's telling us what is happening. And Harari himself is a typical example of a Sabbatean Frankist. Now, the, the error is, the, the, you know, they all say Kazarian mafia, Kazarian, Kaz, the Kaz- guys, why don't we study these things in a proper way so we can understand them, you know, and explain better? So you know, because otherwise we 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 tend to confuse and generalize. Yeah, you talk about that in your book, and maybe just one more uh, question. Uh, we've sort of covered the the waterfront and just uh, peeked into different parts of your book, but uh, then what what is there any music or or film today that is healthy to consume? I mean, what do you listen to or watch? Yeah. 
Well, like I said, if we tune in uh, our music uh, to, first of all, uh, in a different way, and we go back to the 432 Hertz, uh, I find that music can be a pleasant experience. Uh, we can still find a pleasant, pleasant experience with music, but, uh, of course, it's also the same experience we can have with old films. When we see new films or, new, or we listen to new music, we are... If we are a little bit uh, conscious about what is going on, we know that that is rubbish, and so we should not even waste our time and, and, and just you know try to uh, uh, avoid uh, going to see Avatar, whatever movie made out of a million different graphic contents. But William Shakespeare is rolling in his grave while you're watching this movie. And anybody who understands about the level of manipulation that we are subject with music and sounds knows that this is basically to completely brainwash people and, and not give them anything. You, you know, you, you don't go out of a movie nowadays saying, I had a profound experience, like when you were seeing a movie by Stanley Kubrick. Or, you know, these were movies that sincerely were made to, to move you, to transform you. you know? Their transformation is going the other way. And so it's all about uh, quick uh, effects, sounds, blasting, and, and in the end, uh, giving you nothing, but you are happy because you're eating your popcorn and you're like, ah, yes, I had the cinema experience. Wow. It's, it's three-dimensional, it's this, it's that, uh, I don't know. And in the future, you know, you, you, you can already imagine the, the, the cinema of the future, the cinematic experiences of the future it will be probably done inside a virtual cage. You'll be like, wow, okay. Yeah, with the... You know, how can people still see these old movies? They're so backwards. They're so, and, or, or they can read these old books. They're so backwards. Well, I don't find Tolstoy to be backwards. I don't find uh, old uh, uh, pieces of knowledge to be backwards. Actually, I learn a lot from them, and I am always digging them. And I think that uh, the problem nowadays is that uh, we are left out of this experience with uh, a culture which is impoverished. And so... I hope that in reconstituting a new society with uh, people who will not accept what is coming in the next few years, we can maybe also reshape art in a way that gives. Art gives, not takes. Um, and, uh, and the arts have always been used since, uh, since, you know, for a long, long time for, for propaganda. We can't say that it's, you know, we can say that even in ancient Egypt, uh, the, 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 the pharaohs were using art for propaganda, if you think about it. But uh, nowadays, uh, we, we have to be understanding that uh, it's, uh, it's just like things that have been seen, re-seen, and it's nothing new. The new doesn't exist. Even, in, even with music, there is nothing new in music business. I mean, I talk with my former colleagues, record producers, DJs, uh, and stuff. And it's just like nothing. There is nothing new. 
Yeah, even as a consumer, it's I'm not seeing anything new. And as you said, we got to get rid of this culture of death and look more towards the culture of life. And again, uh, um, Thank you. your 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 website is uh, leozagami.com. You've got your YouTube channel as well, where you do live streams, and people can get uh, your books on Amazon and, and everywhere else. Is there any other website or or, or project that mm, we should know about? Absolutely, leozagami.com is the place. You get all the links for all the books. Otherwise, you go on Amazon. And uh, I thank you so much. Uh, 2023, of course, is connected to the number 23, which I also talk about in this book because it's an important number for the Illuminati or for uh, these people who were involved with this uh, Illuminati myth from Robert Anton Wilson to William Barrows. They were all obsessed with the number 23. 23 is profound, is a profound number, and it's a number of transition. Let's see what this year of transition is going to bring us. And let's pray that it's not going to bring us something uh, that uh, could uh, uh, inevitably bring more uh, hushed, uh, harsh uh, and oppression on, on, on the human population and on us, because we have already lived this uh, uh, during the pandemic era, but uh, we are only at the beginning of this growing control effort that uh, is... And, and, and also... Try to think with your own head. This is what the, the message of the book with me standing on the, is, is try to, to think, uh, you know, with your own head and, and, and not to, to project yourself in the, with the masses in this sheeple behavior that will inevitably uh, bring us to a tragic conclusion. Thank you so much, then, for, for having me on this show. And I hope to see you in the future with uh, maybe a new book, maybe with uh, uh, another show based uh, on other conclusions you have reached after reading this whole book, which I hope you will enjoy, like most of our viewers. And God bless you all for 2023. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up to the free email list that notifies you of every new podcast and other important updates. The email list and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's almost impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently strikes videos. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit, Twitter, and LinkedIn take down posts. After the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, or the Atlantic Council, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our pro account at one point. In April of 2022, the Department of Homeland Security had PayPal ban us for life. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the entire podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can support this guerrilla signal by donating via DonorBox, buy me a coffee, subscribe star, or crypto. You can purchase a consultation with the host to talk about expatriation, geopolitics, or podcasting. You can also become a monthly or annual member via Stripe and receive benefits such as partaking in a monthly member Zoom call, 
get access to a weekly recording of my random thoughts and a private Telegram channel. Thank you for listening.